Y'all are welcome for that. Y'all are welcome. Some of y'all are like, oh, praise God. Yes. Just took you back. Some of y'all are like, who are half of those athletes in that advertising? Pete McEnroe was there. I mean, come on, everybody. So excited. And the thing that was so beautiful about Bo Jackson was he was equally as good in baseball as he was in football. And no one had ever seen that before. And the other thing that was also really, really frustrating about Bo Jackson, he didn't like working out. So you see how jacked he is? He's like, yeah, I'm just born this way. You're like, I hate you. I eat a cookie and I jiggle for a week. But anyways... That's a whole nother thing we can, I'm in counseling for. We'll talk about that later. But it was amazing because Bo was familiar. Bo knew so many different things. And it's such, so good that it's going to set us up for what we're talking about in Joe Knows. We're talking about the life of Joseph. And what I like about the life of Joseph that we're going to look at in the book of Genesis is Joseph went through it all. He was a normal human being. He went through normal things. He navigated some hard things in life. And so we can look in through the lens of scripture and see that here is this guy who fixed his eyes on God and continued to run the race well, continued to walk the way that he was called to walk, and he was able to navigate in a different way. And so there are some things about Joseph that will help us today in 2020 navigate the unknown because the season in which we are in right now is unknown. Can I get an amen? We have seen things that we never thought we would see. We're walking through things that we may have thought had been resolved. And so there are curves and there are, are, are valleys and there are storms that are brewing. And so looking at the life of Joseph, it's gonna help us better navigate. Couple of things you need to know in case you are unfamiliar. The story of Joseph continues this promise that God made to this guy named Abraham. As we navigate the course of scripture early in Genesis, God makes a promise to Abraham and says, hey, follow me and I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And Abraham and his wife really desired to have a son or, a, or somebody, but they just were not able to have kids for a long, long time. And so Abraham was holding on to this promise of God, this promise that said, hey, Abraham, I promise you that I will do the thing that I said you would do. And at a very, very old age, God blessed Abraham with Isaac. And then over the course of their walking together, God said, hey, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. And because Abraham believed that God was able to do only what God could do, he put him on the altar and given us a preview of the cross, he provided a sacrifice so that he did not have to sacrifice his son. Isaac had two sons. One's name was Jacob, who was the father of Joseph. He was known as a swindler. He did some backhanded things, very dysfunctional. He had a brother named Esau. What's interesting about Esau, which forever he will be held in the pages of scripture, he was known because how hairy he was. The brother was hairy. Could you imagine being known for, yeah, Nick, he's hairy. Yeah, that's weird. And so there was this moment where Jacob swindled his brother Esau out of his birthright because Esau was hungry. And so Esau gave his birthright for a bowl of stew. There's so many things that we can learn from that story. And because of that, there was a little bit of tension between Jacob and Esau. You could imagine if your sibling stole your birthright, in essence, stole all the money that you were supposed to get, you might be bothered. Can I get an amen? Let's be real. 
that's okay, I got an amen. You might be bothered. And so there was this tension that was built between the both of them. And while Jacob was on a journey, fleeing his brother, navigating his own way, he had an encounter with God that changed everything. And his name being, ended up being changed to Israel. And here's why. And you'll notice as you, as we walk through the narrative of scripture, when you have an encounter with God, it changes you. You are no longer who you used to be. You no longer do the things you used to do. You are changed when you have an encounter with God. And to mark that change, a lot of people will build an altar, but his name was changed. And then there were continued dysfunctional things that continued to happen. And we're going to see that Joseph or Joe knew dysfunction. Here's what I find in myself. I think that God can only use people without baggage in their life. Sometimes I think that God can only use people that have always had it good. But can I just tell us right here and right now that God uses whoever is willing to be used. And so for us, as we look at the life of Joseph, we're going to see that your past we're going to see that what you used to do, we're going to see that the way you used to navigate, we're going to see what happened in your family story doesn't keep God from moving and it doesn't keep God from using it for his glory and for our good and our growth. And so over the next few weeks, as we navigate the life of Joseph, we're going to see all the things that Joe knows and we're going to see how it helps us navigate today, right here, and right now. So if you would, I invite you to pray with me. Dear Jesus, over the next few moments, I pray that you will just do something that only you can do. I pray that you will move in a great way. I pray that you will open up our hearts and our ears to really hear what you have to say for us. And Father, maybe today in this moment, some of us find ourselves in a pit that we don't think we're gonna get out of. But Father, will you remind us that you are the one where our hope comes from, and with you, there is no hopeless situation. So, Father, remind us right here and right now, right where we are, that you know what you're doing, that you are good, that you are faithful, and that you love us. And we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. Amen. Go ahead and turn to your Bibles to Genesis. It's easy to find this one, y'all. It's the first book of the Bible. Turn to Genesis, and we're going to go towards the end of Genesis, so turn to Genesis chapter 37. Today, as I'm reading fast, don't get left behind and be like, man, why is he talking so fast? Because I can fit more in if I talk faster, so listen fast, okay? And so Genesis chapter 37, beginning in verse 2, says this. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph a young man of 17, quick pause, he's a teenager, everybody. Everyone got that? He's a teenager. So sometimes we're going to look at this story and be like, I can't believe he would say that. I can't believe he would do that. Remember, he is 17. Can we give him a brother a break? So imagine you at 17. Some of y'all think about that for a second. Imagine you at 17, right? Think about how you would respond in the same situation, and I think we will see a lot of ourselves in this story. That's just for us to navigate. The sons of Billa and the sons of Zilpha, his father's brothers, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. So here's the deal. Joseph goes and tells his daddy that his brothers are not doing well. And some of y'all are like, he's just a tattletale. 
Joseph, why are you telling? Well, for one, he's just doing the right thing. His father probably asked him to check on his brother. So Joseph is just being obedient. Verse number three. Now Israel, also known as Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Let's pause real quick. Can I just tell you, let me just, if you're a parent and you're watching, it is not good to have a favorite. And let me go and say this. Some of y'all are like, oh, I thought I was hiding who my favorite is. Let me just go ahead and tell you this. I tell my kids, and y'all are going to judge me, but I don't care. I tell my kids that Nash is my favorite. Let me tell you why. Some of y'all are like, I'm praying for you and your family to have counseling. Let me tell you why. The reason I tell my kids that Nash is my favorite is because he will go to the toilet to throw up. And I'm not kidding. I'm like, hey, hey, Jackson, Ava, I love y'all. But Nash goes to the bathroom when he has to throw up. You too? Oh, I don't feel good. Now, I think that's fair. If you have a favorite because they actually make it to the bathroom and they don't just roll over in their bed and just go wherever, I think you're allowed to make them your favorite. But this is not what was going on with Jacob, also known as Israel. No, he was very much letting everybody know that he loved Joseph more than everybody else. And you're going to see that it caused a lot of dysfunction in his family. Verse 5, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright. While your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. So basically he says to his brothers, y'all are going to bow down to me. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said. I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Here's something Joe knows. Joe knows that favoritism leads to disaster. This favoritism is planting roots of bitterness in the hearts of all of those around them. Joe knows that favoritism will lead to disaster. And here's what I would say. I would say that favoritism is different than the argument of being fair. Because let's be real, everybody, there is there's not fair. Can we agree with that? Like, it's just impossible. My kids always bring that up. Like, hey, dad, that's not fair. And I'm like, the fair left town last week, y'all. I'm sorry. (laughs) But there's a difference between showing favoritism. Favoritism is a patterned behavior. It means that in constant situations, in constant things, you are doing things in a similar way where it is showing favoritism to someone or somebody. And so what his father was doing, what Israel was doing, was planting a seed of bitterness in the hearts of his other children. And it did not go well. It was planting the seed 
of disaster. And here's something I do, and here's what I used to do with the story of Joseph. I hadn't always really liked Joseph. I was like, look at Joseph. I don't blame his brothers for throwing him in a pit later on, which we're going to see. He's telling on them. He's saying, hey, you're going to bow down to me. You're going to worship me. Check out my coat. I mean, he's doing all these things. And so when I first would read the story and the narrative of Joseph, I would go, ooh, I do not like that. But as I kind of step into this story more and think about what his brothers did, even if Joseph, as a 17-year-old, didn't handle his dreams or his position in the family well, did he deserve what he ended up getting? It's a question we have to ask ourselves. Does one wrong elicit another? And then here's a question I do not like that I have to ask myself. How did Jesus handle being wronged and rejected? You feel really good and feel very justified in the way you behave until you compare yourself to Jesus. Can I get an amen? You're like, well, I deserve to feel this way. Well, I'm justified in the way I, I think and act until you look at the life of Jesus and you go, oh, never mind. Why? Because Jesus handled things perfectly. Planting a seed of dysfunction is only going to yield more dysfunction. If we have a heart that we just want to get even or we take all the dysfunction we walked in and we plant that and we hope that something good is going to come from that, we are only fooling ourselves because dysfunction planted is only going to yield more dysfunction, everybody. If you think, hey, if I hate you because of how you treated me, or if I do you wrong because you've done me wrong, that is not going to yield anything good, I promise you. And you can talk to other people who have tried and go, listen, when I have allowed the root of bitterness and dysfunction to take root in my heart, it does not yield anything, anything good, everybody. But yet sometimes we go, well, I think that if I do this thing, even though in the past it hasn't yielded anything, maybe, just maybe, it will yield something different. If you do what you have always done, you will always get what you have always gotten. And that's just true. And so even if his brothers were looking at this and going, listen, my father is showing favoritism. My my father is not acting right. The fact that they allowed that dysfunction to root in their heart, it yielded something really, really ugly. And we're going to see how ugly it really gets. Let's pick up in verse number 18. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Can we go? Did you hear that? They saw their brother Joseph in the distance. Yes, he had a pretty coat. Yes, he told about a dream of them bowing down. But y'all, can we admit that maybe that reaction is a bit off? But they saw him in the distance and said, that brother got to go. I feel like I'm watching a bad Lifetime movie right now. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now. Let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Wow, that is strong. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. 
So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Verse 25. And they sat down to eat their meal. They looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Can we pause real quick? We're going to keep going. But I want you to think about something. They had just attacked their brother, threw him in a pit, and they're eating their dinner like nothing. Hey, pass the chicken wing, please. What kind of level of dysfunction is this? If you can eat a chicken wing after you have thrown your brother into a pit and beat him up, something is wrong with you. That is not normal. Because some of y'all are like, oh, I thought, felt like that was a fitting response. No, it's not, y'all. It is not. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agree. Hey, y'all, let's don't kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. That's better. And they're like, yeah, good idea. Okay, let's just keep going. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Verse 29, when Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Woo, what an ugly view of sin and brokenness. What an up-close look at what sin causes and what sin does. So as I was reading this story, I thought to myself, okay, maybe, just maybe, this response and this bitterness and this, all this that happened, maybe that's more normal. Maybe I'm just the weird one. And so I decided that I was going to get a sibling expert to help me navigate to see if maybe I'm looking at this through the wrong lens. And so I would like for you guys to give a warm applause to my sibling expert, also known as my daughter, Ava Person. Come on out here, Ava. What's up, baby? How you doing? You can, go, you can go and sit over there. I like your hair. It looks like mine. Um, I don't know why y'all laughing. That's rude. Um, all right, Ava, you are the sibling expert. Um, a couple questions for you. Thank you for helping me with this part of the message just so I can try to find more insight about these brothers in this story. So, Ava, how old are you? 11. 11. 11 years old. Okay. Um, do you have any siblings? Yes. Okay. How many siblings do you have? What is the best part about having siblings? Um, most of the time, well, with birthday parties, you get to have the cake and the fun as well as your siblings do. And um, 
I have a sibling who's very close in age to me, and sometimes it's nice to have a friend at school with you. And sometimes it's just nice to have someone to hang out with, even though sometimes it's not always fun to hang out with. I got you. I love that you started out with, hey, when you have siblings, you get birthday cake. I love that. Bring that on. I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay, what is the hardest or most challenging part about having a sibling? Sharing. Mm. And privacy. Sharing and privacy. Are your brothers always up in your business? Yes. I'm sorry. I apologize. We'll do better. Um, Okay, so I need you to think about the worst thing your brothers have done. Okay, whatever that might be. And how did you respond to that? Um, The worst thing they've done, well, it's not necessarily awful, but sometimes they're really annoying, and the way I respond is probably not the best way. Mm -hmm. Um, I usually get really frustrated with them, um, but sometimes they're just perfectly fine and Mm -hmm. Don't even we don't even acknowledge each other. Okay, so okay, <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. I, I'm not even gonna see you. Okay. Um, okay, so let me ask your professional opinion. Do you think thinking about that thing when they annoy you and they bother you? Do you think throwing your brothers into a pit and selling them to another family would be a fitting response? No. Why not? Um. I still love my brothers, even though they're annoying sometimes, and I would miss them and having friends around. Okay. Oh, you, I like you. Um, let me ask you this one last question, and then I got to get back to preaching. All right. So is there any other wisdom you could give us, those watching online, those at Buchanan, about siblings, about being a sibling? Is there any information, any help you can give us? Because we need some help. Um, recently, I think the best thing to have with your siblings is good communication. Whoa. What do you mean by that? Can you explain that a little bit more for me? Like if one of my brothers was annoying me and he knew that he was or he didn't and I didn't say anything, he wouldn't stop. So if I said, hey... Jackson, can you please stop? And he responds to that, and he listens to me. That's good communication. Wow. Ava, your mama's doing so good with you, girl. Uh, Thank you for helping us. Will y'all give Ava a round of applause? Thank you, baby. Uh, You did such a great... I'm hugging you. Go ahead. There you go. Um, Man, I'm married so well. Praise the Lord. Because, Lord, on on my own, you would not be like that. Um... I think she gave some great information. I think she gave us a realistic view. Like we can look at this story and go, man, there is a lot of dysfunction. Joseph is enduring a lot. But here's what I love, and here's where we're going to land the plank. What I love about Joseph, in spite of all that happened to him, here's what Joe knew. Joe knows that God is with us in the midst of dysfunction and brokenness. Can I just say this? We all have stuff, everybody. We all live in a place where we have to endure and engage with a lot of brokenness. Yes, the king is on his throne, but the world is still broken. And so Joe had to remember the very thing that we had to remember, that God is with us in the midst of dysfunction and brokenness. He had to remember the dreams. 
He had to remember what God revealed to him. He had to remember that his father, Jacob, had this encounter with God that changed him. He had to remember. And maybe for you, you find yourself in a pit right now and you're questioning if God is still present. You're going, God, look at all this dysfunction. Look at all this brokenness. Look at all that's going on in the world. Are you still present? And I think we look at the life of Joseph and we go, Joe knows that God will help us walk through the dysfunction. Can I go ahead and tell you this? The dysfunction and the brokenness does not speak to the absence of God, but the presence of peace in the midst of the dysfunction and brokenness. The presence of peace in the midst of the journey in the valleys. The presence of peace even when things are going in a way that we did not expect. Hear me, God is not caught off guard. And I love that one of the names of God is Emmanuel, which means God with us. It doesn't mean that the dysfunction and the brokenness does not exist. It just means that the king's in the midst of it. And we do not walk alone, and we do not navigate by ourselves. We walk with the king, and the king has made a way because he surrendered his life on the cross to bring an intersection to this brokenness, to navigate in a way that we can remember that he is present because in the midst of our brokenness and sin, Jesus died for us. Not because we're good, not because we did everything right, No, because he loved us that much, so he stepped in the midst of the mess and did only what he could do. Joe knows that God will use his dysfunction for his glory and our good and our growth. He will use and leverage the dysfunction for his glory, for our good, and here's the part we don't like, and our growth. May I remind us today that God is going to use it. How do I know that? Because he's a redeemer. That's what he does. In the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of all of the unknown, he is able to do some of his best work. We don't ignore the dysfunction. We call it out. Go, hey, God, look, this is hard. You can be honest before your king. But we also acknowledge that as we navigate, we make an intentional step to walk and to follow him in the midst of whatever we are going through. And we surrender it to him. We say, God, you're going to use it. I'm going to come to you with open hands. And we trust him. Can I tell you that trust is an action and not just something we say? We walk with him, we talk with him, we follow where he leads us, we go where he goes and we trust him because we hold this in our sights. Romans 8, 28, one of my favorite verses and will be forever. And we know, how do we know? Because of what Jesus did. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to to his purpose. Here's a hard question you have to ask yourself. Do you believe 
that what the enemy meant for evil, that God can leverage it for good. Do you believe that he does what he says he's going to do? Do you believe that he actually is the redeemer? Do you believe that he is able to work it for his glory, for your good, and for your growth? Do you believe that? Because if you believe that, then you have an opportunity to walk in that. May we be a people, no matter the dysfunction we have come from or the dysfunction we are currently walking in, may we remember but God is still working. So what does that mean for you right here, right now, on this day? Are you willing to trust God in the midst of the mess? Are you willing to trust that in spite of what you have walked through or what you have seen, that he is able to use it? Do you trust that maybe, just maybe, if you were to surrender it, that he actually could do something that you don't believe he could do. It's one thing to say it, but it's a whole nother thing to live it. So right where you are, I want you to bow your heads with me. Maybe today, for some of us in this place, for some of us watching online, for some of us who are navigating life, maybe today is the day where we go, okay, I've heard about this God. I've heard about this Savior. I heard that he wants to meet me where I am. Maybe today is the day where you allow him to meet you right where you are and you surrender. Maybe it's your life. Maybe you say, hey, Jesus, I know that you died for me. I know that you lived perfectly the life that I could not live. And right here and right now, I surrender control and I accept your payment on the cross and your resurrection over the grave. And I know that you've invited me to sit at your table. And so I say yes to your invitation. Maybe for you, it's time for you to let go of those past hurts, pains, or maybe current pains and dysfunction. And maybe you go, Father, you can have it. I've been carrying it for far too long and I'm getting more weary as I keep going. So you can have it, Father. Wherever you are and wherever you find yourself, I pray that you can come to the King with open hands and open heart and an open posture, trusting that He is able to redeem even the thing that seems far beyond redemption. So King, we love you. We thank you and we pray all these things in your name, amen.